Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CEDH. I'm one of your hosts, Lyndon, aka Noobzors, and today I'm joined by my co-host Reed, aka Sick Robot. How you doing? And Morgan, aka Spleenface. What's up, everyone? And in this episode, we will be covering dun 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 under pressure. pressure. Yeah. Talking about pressure. Let's see if we get. I was about to say, let's yeah. see if we can get copyrights stricken <laughs> through the acapella. Yeah. For... <laughs> um, definitely, vocal skills are not good enough to get no, copyright stricken. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're safe. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll be talking about pressure in CDH and its various forms, and how to deal with it, and how to exert more pressure. But before we get into that. What have you guys been up to since the last episode? I guess this is just personal stuff in general. So you you went to a tournament, and uh, mm-hmm. we didn't go. So how'd that go? And what was it? And everything. <laughs> so, as has been the... mentioned, I think, a couple times, this was the third time one of us has, or any of us have gone to the Bufftown Bullies? No. Or was it third? Yeah. Yeah. It was third. It, okay. it was third, yeah. 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 Um, which, you know, shout out Tad, freaking awesome tournament, um, series that, Tad, that they put Tad on. Tad is my favorite, along with the rest of the Buff Town Bullies. Um, yeah, it's, Tad, Tad's it, it's, uh, fantastic. Yeah, I actually met lots of, uh, and talked to lots of really cool people. Um, just had a great time all around. I went, uh, you know, shout out Small, um, from the Frog server who came up to, uh, you know, crashed, and uh, then we drove down to Buffalo, just being the tournament. Both made small. I think had the best record going into top sixteen. Nice. Um, I had. Uh, I think he went undefeated in Swiss, but that's that's also like three draws. Um, I, on the other hand, went like draw, lose, draw, lose, win, uh, and I made <laughs> top sixteen. <laughs> I'm assuming that was a bit of a butt clencher before you knew how to appear. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. I was like, there's no way I'm getting it. And then someone else was like, I did the math. I think you made it. I was like, no, I didn't. I did not. No. What, what's the tournament equivalent of D's get degrees? Yeah. yeah seriously. <laughs> Truly. Um, so, yeah, wait, what, dude, the power. Never underestimate the power of a draw. Um, yeah, so I played I played Riel. Small played uh, Thras Bruce. Uh, and then we saw each other in top 16. Um, also, uh, in our top 16 pod were, um, two other people who were, who came as a group, I think from Syracuse, I think it's Syracuse. Anyway, they they were all, there was like a bunch of them were, uh, financial consultants and apparently they all play CDH and magic at, at their, uh, their job, which oh, is kind nice. of funny. <laughs> uh, they've got like a league running and whatever. Anyway, one of the, the guy who was playing, uh, Thrasios Timna, uh, went on to win the whole thing, which the prize for which was a, uh, a tropical island. And then everyone who made finals got a Savannah. So a pretty sweet prize. And I actually like beating myself up a bit because the turn before, uh, that dude won, I had win in hand, but I just didn't think I could, like, I didn't have enough counter magic for me to be like, yeah, I got this. I was like, eh, I'll chance it. And then, yeah, lost on, on, and it was like definitely enough counter magic for you, like for you to have gone for it. Yeah. Well, it's like I had one piece of protection and I was like, there's no way there's like thrash bruise, thrash Timna and Ajila. Um, there's, there's no way. Also, uh, that game, truly incredible. So 
I resolved it from the ashes, right? So let me restate the I plot again. This. I'm playing Riel, <laughs> Thras Bruce, Thras Timna, Najila. Okay. How many basics do you think my opponents would normally find? Uh, Collectively. Yeah. Like zero. Maybe right? one. Maybe, maybe one maybe from one. the Thras Bruce player playing a forest. The the Thrasus Timna player was like, from the ashes, great. Proceeds to find four basic nose <laughs> deck. <laughs> Get wrecked. I don't, oh, is, absolutely this is, wrecked. This is fully it karma. Was, this is a hundred percent karma. <laughs> it was wild. Um but no, it was it was uh it was a lot of fun. Lots of uh, great games, great people, and I look forward to doing another one. And uh hopefully continue the streak next time. Well, I guess restart the streak of uh bullying the Americans. Yeah, yeah. Still let us down on that one, I gotta be real. I should have got I should have just jammed the win. I should have just jammed the win. Yeah. Always right, we'll, go uh, for it. We'll be back next time, Buff Down Bullies. Our nemeses. Except not nemeses. Yeah. The, homies <laughs> the nemeses. The nema homies. Ne- nemesis homies. Yeah. Stop. Frenemies. It's not getting better. <laughs> you know, I, just because of that, no, never run. Um Yeah. Uh Aside from that, uh, so Reed, what did you get up to that weekend? Uh, well, sorry, before that weekend, me and Morgan wanted to go, um, uh, get into TV2 again because TV2 is starting back up in Toronto. Oh, yeah, which is hot, which is a super great time. Um, so you know, it's it's about it's a, like a bit outside of the city, um, or a bit outside of the city center. So you had to get up pretty early and do some uh, driving around to get up there, um, which is fun and everything. Uh, and was totally worth it, except it wasn't, because we showed up, and it went, like, half an hour past the start time, and the store still wasn't open, and they sent an email out, like, half an hour after the open, and be like, uh, actually, we're canceling, you get free entry next month. <laughs> so, yeah, that was fun. Drove a, got... drove a big circle all around the city. <laughs> yep. And then went to the normal local meetup. The, the normal that's like, meetup. That's like literally a 15-minute drive yeah, from it's, the like, house. it's like half an hour from me. After it's three hours like, of driving. Yeah. <laughs> Tragic. Are they uh, still but, doing it? Are they going to do another 2v2? Yeah, like they're doing I sure it hope the, so. Allegedly there's one in August, but I don't actually know mm. what it is. We'll see, but definitely, I mean, but... The decks are still together. I don't think either of us have piece stars apart yet, so <laughs> um, we'll see. But yeah, so that the weekend that Lyndon was uh, down in Buffalo playing games, I instead went to go see uh, the Angels at Blue Jays game on uh, I wish that I saw Friday, that game. which was so worth it because the only reason I went was to watch Shohei Otani play, and I mean also Showtime baby, Showtime baby, and also get some uh, some hot dogs and uh, ballpark peanuts and pretzels and shit. Just great. Only cost you fifty food. Canadian dollars. Oh yeah, like <laughs> God. The uh, actually the the hot dogs are like surprisingly good value as long as you get like the non gimmick, just like generic stadium ones that are tiny, mm. but they only they only cost like two fifty a piece. They're great. Oh wow, that's good. Um, but yeah, beer costs way too much. Anyway, um, so yeah, only reason I went to that game was to see Shohei Otani play. Uh, and then. I got to see Shohei Ohtani play all right, because uh, first inning, he's second in the batting order, walks up to the base, homers on the first pitch he sees. <laughs> wow. Just, the gra- I almost missed it, and I didn't, and I'm so happy that I got to witness it. So, uh, I yeah, I, I achieved my 
getting to see Shelly Otani play in like one of potentially the best seasons of you could have just made me feel better by saying it sucked you know no it was fantastic it was like absolutely great the light was fantastic the dome was open it actually it was a bit of a sweaty day normally but they had the I think they had the AC running for like a while before the game started with the dome okay I was like they had the AC running with an open dome no no no, not with the open dome but I think I think they had it they're just cooling the planet they're they're Global warming. Yeah. Something, yeah. something thermodynamics. Fun time. Uh, Lyndon definitely <laughs> totally could have come, and I gave him like multiple, uh, multiple warnings of advance warning that the seats were going to sell out, and then the uh, seats sold out. Yeah, and then I didn't want to pay like two hundred and fifty dollars for a ticket. <laughs> I should have. I should have just jumped on it sooner. Uh, hopefully, I'll catch him next year, and hopefully, he's having he, he doesn't fall off. You know, yeah, just <laughs> just gets absolutely in, injured flame for out. the next two years, and you never get to see him play again. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, that's cool. And then we've got some other things on new developments. We've got, uh, at the end of the month, there's a tournament in Kingston going on that, uh, I think we're all going to try and make it to, as well as many, many friends of the show from the good old Queen's Magic the Gathering Club will be trying to be there, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, I yeah. think, I think there's a link up already for registration, so I'll I'll throw that one in the description if I remember to, and if not, you can yell at me on Discord, and there's like a 50-50 chance that I'll put it in after the fact. Honestly, just yell at Reed on Discord either way. It's yeah. the safe the safe call. I need the engagement. <laughs> I thrive on the attention. If I don't get a notification like every hour, I, I just, my self-esteem crumbles. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's not real. He's just the thing on the other side of your screen. Yeah. <laughs> he, he only exists as long as you believe in him. Um, and lastly, uh, in new developments, Morgan, Reed, when do you guys want to get yeah. this? Yeah, uh, I guess... I guess this one's me. Uh, I'm uh, going to MagicCon Vegas, uh, as is a longtime friend of the show, Pongo, from Team Turn 3, who I don't think has made it out to too many CEDH events in recent years, so uh, that'll be cool. And uh, some of the people from the Mind Sculptors making it out, uh, it's going to be a whole thing. Uh, so if you're in the area or can get to Vegas with six weeks notice then you should definitely check that out you gonna play the slots uh, blackjack at least I'll, I'll, I'll put five bucks in a slot machine dude do it win a hundred dollars win a thousand dollars just play just play roulette put it all on black and keep keep doubling your money dude infinite money trick <laughs> Um, just, just, just Martin Gale, right? If you lose, you yeah. double the bet. And <laughs> you yeah, double exactly. the bet. That's, that is actually how I play. Really, it's, it's fun. You start with a low amount. You can play sure for a until while. you bet all of your money and lose. Yeah, but what, what are the odds of that happening, man? Well, it's just every, every time it depends every, on how much money you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> simply, simply take out, take out another mortgage. You know, beg all of your, sell a kidney, do whatever you have to. God. But last last thing you should do is sell your magic cards. You know, that's... <laughs> um, it goes yeah. first kidney, magic cards, second kidney. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay, um, that wraps up new developments. Uh, housekeeping, we have no new patrons, but, you know, as always, thank you to our existing patrons who help keep the, I was going to say lights on, but, I mean, it's, it's just the well, mics on, I guess. Well, I feel like, we can maybe we can maybe tease uh you know that 
there is some more some more gameplay footage there in is, the actually. pipeline with progress being made on it. So yeah, you know, hopefully we can get that to you soon. Uh, there are lights there that we spent. There are lights. There, there yeah. are a lot of lights. We had some very <laughs> yeah. nice lights. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. So yeah, on to the main topic, which is pressure. So. What is pressure in CDH or magic in general? In fact, actually, I feel like there was a great article on pressure. Uh, maybe the most, one of the most iconic, iconic magic articles of all time about who is the beatdown. Um, trick so, yeah. question. We're all the beatdown. <laughs> uh, no, trick question. The real beatdown was the friends we made along the way. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, so which beatdown. one of you... Um, it's gonna take read a stab at defining it. Uh, <laughs> read out. Uh, yeah, I mean, so pr- like pressure just in magic in general, and like I mean, this is just like the general context of it. Actually, I should probably have pulled up a like Merriam-Webster dictionary definition for pressure or something. But anyway, pressure in the <laughs> magic sense, uh, for the most part, is just uh, the means by which you uh, compel your opponent to take game actions. Um, and typically in 1v1, that means, like, taking game actions that they wouldn't normally have to take or, like, doing things ahead of when they would want to do them or, like, pressuring them to have to have something or have to do something by a certain time. Like, basically putting deadlines on game actions. Um, in CDH, is a bit weirder because, like, you're not... Like, in 1v1, you're, everything you're trying to do is uh, with the end goal of killing your single other opponent. Whereas... In CDH, it's a bit weirder. Obviously, like, theoretically, everything that you're doing is propelling you toward ending the game and you winning the game, but that can take a lot of different routes and uh, can, like, fully, fully depend on what the rest of the people are doing. So pressure is really just, yeah, the, the means by which you force other players to take actions and typically take actions that with either suboptimal pieces uh for their own win percentage or at suboptimal times for their own win percentage i think there's another aspect of of pressure that is kind of interesting which is that there are obviously different types of pressure which we'll get into um you know there's combat damage and cards and stacks and, and all of this stuff um and each of these can operate kind of like independently right so you could be do you could be winning the race in terms of card advantage, but someone else is just absolutely crushing it in terms of combat damage um, against you, and that you know it, they're they're uh, let's say it's you know a race to ten on each of these you know different pressure scales. You're at a, a five, everyone else is at a two on card advantage, but someone else is at a nine on combat. You're they're they're the one who's going to be in in the control seat of the game. So even if your deck is you know maybe not well suited to one of the other types of pressure, um, so long as you're you know dominating and, and controlling that one aspect, you're in the driver's seat. So it's important to consider not just you know any one aspect, but um, all aspects of pressure. And some of them are definitely more underutilized than others. Uh, I think combat probably the most underutilized which is wild because it's also like the sort of like 
the freest. main thing that you would think of when well no it's like the main thing that you would think of when you think of like applying pressure um, in like a magic sense in general is just like attacking people and doing damage to them but yeah as we all know cdh players don't know how combat works so you gotta get in all of your free swings early mechanics I may or may not have forgotten how first strike works multiple times in the course of playing CDH games. <laughs> Actually, didn't I, I think I forgot how first strike worked? Oh, d yeah, d no. The other day, the other day when playing uh, Magar, I, f I, I forgot that it would be separate phases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the mana that my mana wouldn't persist steps, between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Study yeah. up on combat. So, okay. We have a couple of different types of, like, how you exert pressure, but before then, I there, there's sort of, like, it's, I we have it written down here as, like, types of pressure, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's really types of pressure necessarily, it's sort of, like, the... Pressure dynamics? It's yeah. dynamics, or the context in which pressures are applied, in which pressure is applied. Um, which, uh is mostly, I think we boiled it down to, and it, okay, this should work, I think, for the most part, like, in general, of, like, it's mostly about how many players are allied and on what axis they're allied on. Um, so the three that we have written down here, we'll, like, give examples and walk into these a bit more, but the three that we have written down here are one versus three pressure, so this would be, um, like, arch enemy pressure. Um... Or, like, you know, like, the arch enemy exerting pressure on the rest of the table. Um, 3v1 yeah. pressure, which is, like, the gang-up pressure, so three people exerting pressure on one person at the table. Or, and, or basically, it, it can even just be one person exerting pressure, like, through combat. Yeah, like, let's say one that, person's that, got a big flyer or crom, or someone's almost dead. They're, they're continuously getting attacked, and you're, it's like, the, the other two are basically bystanders, and they're gonna do you no favors. Yeah, they're, they're they actively either benefit or are completely neutral on the pressure pressure being applied to that one person. Yeah. Um, and then there's a uh, sort of weirder, and we'll talk about this one a bit more when we get to it, is a 2v1v1 pressure. So um, a lot of the time this is, yeah, like two people applying pressure to the rest of the table, but the other two people aren't necessarily allied in resisting that pressure or like aren't aligned on how they're dealing with that pressure at all. Um. So, like, 1v3 pressure, uh, to go back to the top and to sort of get into these a bit more, um, 1v3 pressure is probably the easiest to understand out of all of these, which is, um, hey, I'm going to try to win. <laughs> well, not even I, necessarily. Or, it can just know, like, also I'm, be, I'm, I'm assemble yeah. I've assembled some kind of engine or, or whatever that's, that's put me so far ahead and it's going to win me the game the longer if things continue yeah. on it, as it basically, is. I, I am the, I am the threat deal with Yeah. Thrasio, um, Seedborn, Muse, classic yeah. example. Uh, nowadays, I guess the the more topical one would be uh, like resolving a the tivet or resolving a one ring or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, something like that. Um, where okay, we're not we're not dead yet, but this is like you know this this is applying pressure to us. This is forcing action out of the rest of the table because it's going to be really bad if this like continues to persist uh, right longer. Um. Any and then two v one v one is when two people have that going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, and let's do, let's do they're like they're dueling each other, and then you know the the two stragglers are you know banding together to try and stop either of them from winning. 
Uh, yeah. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> it's it's mostly like, um, I guess I guess I sort of explained it in the opposite of what it should have been. Uh, when I or like it might have been a big a bit ambiguous. Yeah. So like, sorry, the the two v one v one pressure is is like, yeah, it's it's like the the two in the two v one v one, uh, are actually the people like sorry are the people like having pressure applied to them, but it's sort of as a byproduct of two other people table fighting. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Um, where yeah, like the two people are trying to like put themselves like way far ahead, and the other two people aren't going to be able to catch up and realize that they need the help of another person to, like, keep the rest of the table contained and at least, like, keep the game going rather than just losing and, like, letting one person take over. Um, and what's interesting about these dynamics uh, as they relate to the other type, like, the actual true types of pressure, not just the pressure dynamics, is that the weakest position, like, if you if you had to be... If you had to rank the positions in terms of, like, how likely you are to make it out of it if you're not the one who's um, applying the pressure, you're the one who's the, the pressure being applied against. How would you rank order, like, how would you rank order these these pressure dynamics? Because I would say 3v1 uh, is the most likely to, to survive, second would be 2v1v1, and then last would be 1v3. Right? If you're applying the pressure? No, if you, the pressure is being applied to you. I'd say 1v3 is, like, you're very likely to be in that out of that live, because you have two other people that are, like, also looking to Get, no like, okay it, it was uh, okay i, I think we're just yes we're, i'm uh, we're saying the same thing but we just mixed <laughs> up the 1v3 versus 3v1 okay <laughs> uh, who who's who okay um but yeah uh, basically i'm saying the yeah. least the least likely of you to make it out of it is the one where it's you getting like attacked with with combat and ver and two other people who are there actively rooting uh, for you to die or just are indifferent um and that's a scenario that basically usually will only present itself through combat damage. So kind of, kind of fascinating to, uh, to look at how combat damage can be um, so, so impactful um, and very difficult to, to get out of. And yet I think it's very seldom a consideration in CDH deck building. Um, optimizing for combat. I mean, obviously, there's still some stuff like Ishai, Jessica, or whatever, but um, not not too often. Um, well, I think yeah, it is I, also it, just because, like, sure, when combat damage manifests itself as a threat, it's, like, a really big problem and a really big threat. But, like, it's still... Oftentimes, it just is too slow to be relevant. Like... Yeah, yeah. Often, when we're talking about pressure, we're sort of already applying a bit of a filter that we're talking about games that are on the longest side, or like towards the longer end of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, like attempting wins and like visibly or like visibly setting up for wins is pressure, but it's like. It's less the context of like, it like it pressure doesn't really exist or like it doesn't like pressure is like less. Wait, then the show is over. Like earlier pressure, in the game, pressure doesn't right? exist. Well, like no, no, like it's it's just like less relevant as a concept earlier in the game, where it's just like okay, like we're just earlier in the game, it's more of a scramble. <laughs> where it's just certainly, like, but I mean, also you do you do consider um, 
Oh, sure. You consider the possibility of late game, like for instance, with Najila, right? Decks that can snowball or Winota. You're very cognizant of late game pressure. Um, And so you try and, and, you know, nip that in the bud early. I'm just saying, like, early win attempts are like early, like, you could call it win pressure, but it's less pressure and more just like, okay, here's like, here's a problem that we're just going to like die to immediately if it doesn't get solved versus like, all right, we we do like evaluate some threats here and like for the next like two or three turns and like make sure that like that doesn't get too out of hand, which is like the pressure, the kind of pressure that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we've spent all this time on pressure dynamics, let's actually get into the nitty gritty of the of how to exert pressure and the the types of pressure. So. First of all, combat damage. And, you know, as I was saying, people don't typically build around it. Morgan gave some pretty good reasons why. Um, let's let's delve into this one a bit more. Yeah. So we, we still haven't really, like... Combat damage, is, it feels like it's become more of a thing. There was, like, sort of this, like... Um, this, like, low end of combat damage um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago at this point. Um, like, during... Uh, I don't know, like... 20... 2018, 2020 and then like a couple years before then as well i guess um of like combat damage didn't really matter because people could just like win and deal with combat damage pretty easily and there wasn't like a whole lot of like great great combat steroids especially in the command zone we're sort of like back into a point now where like combat damage is definitely more relevant so like this is certainly something you should be thinking of a bit more because there are some pretty powerful combat steroids that have been printed over the last few years um and it's pretty like it just turns out that a lot of good commanders also tend to be like pretty large bodies, which is you know pretty good at applying pressure as well. In terms, they've of also combat. printed a bunch of stuff that actually cares about combat damage. I mean, we, yeah, we like, kind of joked that Timna, you know, when that first came out, that that was the thing that actually made us have to care about combat. And then every time, uh, you know, Timna kind of, you know, if it waxes or wanes in pop, every time it's back, it's like ah, we have to care about combat again. Um, but they they print a lot of stuff recently. Like, um, I guess I don't know how recently counts as recently but in cbh i think it can be like you know on the order of a couple years but um professional face breaker and uh grim hireling you know i think have been two recent ish additions yeah, that I mean, there's just like a bunch of <laughs> engines and printed like four years ago yeah, like no printed very long ago <laughs> no i'm I'm gonna look this up you guys carry <laughs> was, was it printed like in battle bond or something no well, it's like it was afr um which was a while ago. Uh, it's like, <laughs> yeah. um, oh, it was. Yeah, it was in one of the what? I, for some reason, I always associated with Eldraine, but yeah, I was in. It was in the AFR Commander deck. I'm right. Sure. Which uh, when, when, when were those? Uh, I believe two years ago now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was right. Don't try and gaslight anyway. me. <laughs> All right. Um. But yeah. So like, there's there's just like a lot of stuff stapled to wanting to go through combat now. Uh, value engines, win cons, etc. Um, commanders that like want to connect for value or want to get into the red zone for value where like that was definitely like less of a thing um, before um so it's definitely more relevant to talk about now uh and yeah i mean so combat damage obviously the reason it's pressure is because you don't want to die to somebody hitting you in the face so if you're at like you know 10 and somebody's got five damage on board that means you have a two turn clock versus that person which means that you know you have to do something about that you can't just like sit there and continue getting hit um, as much you would, as you would like to just, like, be passive and not have to deal with threats and spend your energy elsewhere. So, it is pressure. Um, and you should be thinking about that 
when you're in game both from the side of being pressured and from the side of applying pressure obviously from the side of being pressured it's a pretty easy evaluation it's am i about to die am i about to die in the next three turns etc um if so how am i gonna die <laughs> uh can i deal with that threat effectively like given these duels if not do i have to like alter my game plan at all do i have to care about this threat um on the other side applying combat damage pressure which is what Lyndon was talking about earlier um is a bit more involved in terms of threat assessment and evaluation and sort of like thinking about how much you want to commit to uh both like you know putting damage on the board so putting creatures and power on the board um which you know you you might be like overextending your like spending resources to put things on the board that you would normally be spending you know working toward a win or working toward uh, improving your value engines and stuff and a lot of that has to do with uh how close somebody is to dying how much of a threat they are and how much they're going to have to alter their game plan to deal with your uh like you dealing combat damage to them as well as you know the clock of you dealing combat damage and how much of a like a game plan uh diversion it is from like your normal game plan yeah i mean i think the best kind of combat damage pressure comes from decks that apply it naturally where it's doing something yeah. it's usually comes from your commander yeah typically, or you're doing something you already want to be doing or yeah your your main game plan it already involves combat so stuff like you know Nagila, winota um tivit uh or tivit, just like yeah or just you're already turning sideways or just, or just like large commanders that you're casting anyway so something like a traxa where like Atraxa, Atraxa is a good one. Yeah, you're 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 you don't you're not playing Atraxa in the command zone because it gets into the red zone, and it doesn't like getting into the red zone isn't part of its strategy. Like it's not like Tibet where it has to attack. It it has already gotten its stuff, but you want to cast it, and it also happens to be a seven seven flyer with vigilance, right? So, and lifelink. Yep, and damage <laughs> for reasons. Yeah, it's it is very <laughs> but, annoying to deal with. No the best trample. way to deal with it is to have your own Atraxa through Phantasmal Image or Gilded Drake. That's not true. <laughs> best, the, best, the best way to deal with it is to leave it in play and just keep copying it. Yeah. You don't even Gilded Drake it, you just make copies of it. Did that a couple times at uh, played against an Atraxa player uh, at Bufftown and. Uh, Definitely, definitely stole Traxa and I mean, copied Traxa. So there, there might be a reason why I'm putting the Apple Spawn in some uh, <laughs> mid-range green decks. <laughs> um, cool. So yeah, um, that's combat. Well, so it okay. It's that that's combat damage, but there's also like another layer to this, though. Um, okay, which is not just the actual act of you dealing combat damage to somebody and then them realizing that they're going to be dead in a couple of turns or like you get one hit and they're like okay i now have to do the math on like how long this clock is of me getting hit in the face um you don't actually have to deal combat damage to apply pressure you can also just apply the threat of combat damage which is a much more powerful tool than i think a lot of people would assume um i think it's and- also just a more powerful tool than killing someone i'd rather get deals and like you know hey we if know. uh <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> I'd, I'd rather uh i'd rather you know hey i won't attack you if uh you know if you remove this or you know if, if if you don't attack me or whatever lots of lots of like real advantage um to be gained from that and and this can either again be either implied or explicit um so 
the explicit threat of combat damage is you saying to somebody, I'm going to hit you in the face unless you do X thing, or unless you agree to X, or unless, like, whatever. Um, the implicit threat of combat damage is, uh, say you have a, like, you're playing Urza, and, uh, you know, you cast Urza a couple of times this game because it's been killed, and you just, like, have a couple of, uh, you know, you have a few 13-13 constructs lying around. Even if you're not attacking people, <laughs> they definitely have to... Do the math on, okay, if he does ever decide to attack me with those constructs, um, what do I have to do about that? Do I have to take that into account? Do I have to, like, do I have to engage with, like, making deals with that person or, like, trying to pry apart their decision-making so that I can figure out my game plan? Um, so just, you know, having a large board and threatening violence can be as effective as actually committing violence is what I'm getting at. 100%. Morgan, anything to add? Uh, no, I think I think you guys uh, summed up pretty well. Um, I think you know I do have more to say about about the talking aspects and the threats of violence and things, but we have sections that those are applicable to farther down, so I'll save it for them. Cool, cool. Which brings us to the next um, type of pressure, which is approaching an inevitability state, which is kind of like a weird categorization here, but it's it's kind of encompassing not only um like card advantage engines but also you know full control over the game through uh stacks possibly right where it's like in it with a with a card oh, advantage yeah. if you've got a really strong card advantage engine um it's like this person's getting closer and closer to winning the game um and therefore I'm going to lose. Whereas with like a fully stacked out board, they might not be actually closer to winning the game, but everyone else has basically achieved a state where it's impossible for them to win. Right. So you're, you're going to win eventually, basically. Yeah. So yeah, inevitability, <laughs> uh, Morgan, yeah, your, your, your turn. You, uh, you talk about some of this. Sure. So, I mean, uh, when, you know, when we talk about, game states and this sort of advantage building up you know people will obviously quickly go to uh like engines right um and these you know really really have we've seen a bunch of cards that uh that absolutely shape the the course of the game obviously like heuristic study has been has been huge um for a while you know recently we got the one ring um and you know they just tend to snowball especially if you can get them out early uh and you you hit a certain point there is a certain point uh that people hit and it varies a bit deck by deck uh of having you know just enough cards in hand that you're basically just dead and unless everyone's working really hard there's not a lot you can do about it um and yeah you know you when you see that state sort of building up, you uh, definitely need to be thinking about how to do something about it before before it hits that point of criticality where you know they just have the answer for absolutely everything. Read. <laughs> Yes, I want Palace Chicken. <laughs> yeah, how long are we gonna go? <laughs> that's gonna cut out. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's yeah. It the the idea here is realistically just like, you know, um, 
it's sort of abstract to get away from like just cards as well like obviously like a lot of decks can like accrue a large number of cards and win the game but also like you know you just accrue like resources in other ways you can like have a couple of things on board and just accrue things on them or like abilities to use them or whatever um which also factors into this a lot this is stuff like you know having a yis on with a bunch of canners on it is like pretty scary um uh stuff like you know having a if you're playing, like, a, some menacing commander that, you know, doesn't necessarily produce cards, but produces advantage in other ways, like, something like Rocco, um, this could also be a thing where it's like, yeah, like, you know, once it, people, once people start producing resources in general that put them toward, uh, that kind of advantage, where, like, the, the table's just not gonna be able to deal with them, um, is, yeah, it, that, that is also part of an inevitability state. This can also, like, this can also weirdly, like, encompass, like, parts of combat damage, where, like, some decks just, like, have ways of dealing damage to the table at once, so, like, you know, if you're getting everybody to relatively low life, um, there are decks out there, I, like, Odd Mixilis, there are a couple of decks that play, you know, stuff like Delayed Blast Fireball, or just, like, mass damage effects in general, that can also just be, Thrash Toggo like, rocks, baby. File Smasher. Thrastago, <laughs> like that kind of stuff where it's just like oh they just like have incidental damage checked on so like it's like there's an inevitability there like you might not be taking a lot of combat damage every turn but the longer the game goes on typically people's life totals go down the longer games go on unless they're playing something like Atraxa and for some reason Atraxa is sticking around for forever or like people are just like letting themselves get hit by Bruce attacks or whatever um, people tend to like lose life as the game goes on so once everybody's at like you know sub 20 suddenly there's uh, some types of decks with inevitability versus like low life totals even if they're not particularly great at dealing combat damage specifically also we didn't we didn't write this down but um i kind of feel like there's one i feel like there's fall under inevitability um but it's neither a card advantage engine nor a you know a full stacked out board i think it falls sort of under the control aspect um so you can kind of have full control over the game through just sheer overwhelming like interaction. Um, and so like I just comes up sometimes in real, which also where I mean, you've that, got that lots also... of card advantage, but that, that feel like it's the card advantage is backed up by interaction. So no one else can win. And then your wins are basically like impossible to stop. Um, yeah, you I, can I was... sort of achieve a mini microcosm of this with um, Abolisher and Ranger Captain, where they, they're they merely being in play, exert a lot of pressure on the game, um, If obviously if they stick around, right? So so if you just play it and then it wins, it's not really pressure. But if you play an Abolisher, like, people start and pass. People will sweat, right? Because okay. it is representing a, a complete shift in, you know, everyone's interaction doesn't do anything anymore. Or the... the Stack interaction. Yeah. Well, so I, I would just say like rattlesnakes in general will probably apply pressure, right? Like I know I know Granibolters isn't necessarily a rattlesnake, but like just those types of effects in general, like also just apply pressure, even if they're not like actively, you know, impacting the gate. Like they're not a stacks piece that's actually stopping people from doing stuff. Just the threat of it being there. Still work to the threat of combat damage or the threat of somebody producing a lot of cards or mana very quickly, um, can like be pressure in its own right. I mean, I, I do think there's a difference there in that, like, I, I don't know that, um, like, the, the rattlesnakes don't produce pressure inherently, like, it's only the certain rattlesnakes that we're, 
like think like obviously you know ranger captain is like sort of the number one rattlesnake card that people think about and obviously that one applies pressure because it works both ways but like uh i don't think something like an aether spell bomb applies pressure sure yeah sure fair yeah makes sense to me although a judge's familiar does didn't play uh <laughs> I don't know about that. Not not copium? What? Yeah. <laughs> uh cool. And then was there anything else? I mean I think I've said my piece on inevitability states. Do you guys anything else here that you want to talk about or Well, I mean so I, I did want to talk about like mana disparity a bit. Or like it's so a lot of this is like less about like a lot of like inevitability states. Um, they can be just, like, raw objective, like, card advantage and mana advantage or, like, just game state advantage in a vacuum, like, completely irrespective of the rest of the table. But uh, I would say probably, like, I I would say, like, a vast majority of the time it's going to be actually, like, a disparity between resources that produces, like, pressure from inevitability states. Um, Or, like... uh, like a very high amount of objective pressure like plus something that the table just like isn't equipped to deal with at all um so like some engine that like like just people actually can't stop once it gets rolling so that they have to respect but a lot of the time uh the pressure is produced from there being a disparity between uh people's game states where like if Dude, everybody like has pressure in real life like <laughs> if every yeah, turns out <laughs> um if every There's if pressure everybody... is all the same everywhere you know, <laughs> it turns out words have meanings and there's a yeah. reason to use them. <laughs> um, uh yeah but like if if everybody it turns out like when if everybody at the table has a rhystic study and everybody's feeding everybody's rhystic studies there's a lot less like pressure that everybody at the table feels i mean it the game very quickly feels like it's teetering on a knife's edge because anybody can win it at any time but it's not really pressure it's more just like oh this is just like a very volatile game now like i'm not being pressured to take game actions aside from what i would normally be doing i just like it's just like everything is very volatile and very touchy now um, whereas, like, if one person has a rustic study and is drawing a lot of cards and nobody else is drawing a lot of cards, like, that's pressure. Like, that's very definitively pressure, because it's like, okay, like, we need to we need to deal with this person who has a lot more resources than the rest of the table, um, because they are going to be doing something busted soon, and we know that. Um, so, same thing with uh, mana disparity, which is the thing that I actually wanted to talk about here, which is, um, I would say mana disparity is, uh, is like, a very real thing form of pressure um but just a lot of like very very often in order to actually convert that pressure like it has to be paired with something else to actually like consume the mana or like meaningfully utilize it obviously a deck full of 60 lands is not going to be a deck that does anything so you need things to do with that mana um it's sort of like more of a prerequisite but basically like if you have infinite mana it erases the prerequisite for doing busted things so as soon as you have a busted thing to do you can do it much more easily um so it's just like anything like if like a mana disparity on its own might not be threatening if like you know there's a dranith magistrate in play and people just like the person who has a lot of mana has no cards in hand is drawing one card a turn doesn't have access to the commander can't do anything on their board or whatever that's not very threatening but say their deck is just absolutely packed full of threats they're like if they rip one of those off of the top it's just like going to end the game with a spot or put them like into a very advantaged position that that becomes pressure even though like there's nothing inherently bad about them just like having no cards in hand and having a ton of mana um but this is the same thing with like you know having a commander that efficiently or like even just consumes mana at all for some amount of uh 
large advantage or if they have pre-existing card advantage resources so they have a full hand and now they have a ton of mana that's a threat that's a really threatening thing uh, if they have a mana sink in play even if it doesn't produce cards right if they have like a yasan in play or if they just like have something that requires a lot of mana to activate in play but now they have the mana to activate it um that's a big thing or even like a deck having a lot of high like card velocity where each a lot of cards, like a very large number of cards in the deck, allow them to see more cards from the deck. That also becomes like very dangerous if they have enough mana to effectively utilize those, right? So, just to contextualize mana disparity as a form of pressure, because I, I do, we, there were pre-show arguments about this, and I do think it's, you know, it's more nuanced than, I think it's pretty easy to understand combat damage as a form of pressure, card advantage as a form of pressure, full like board controls of horror pressure mana sort of like there's there's like a couple of asterisks on it but it's definitely like you should be considering how much mana somebody is producing obviously as a threat and if them producing a lot of mana might mean that you need to take game actions to deal with that it's definitely it's definitely a a force multiplier yeah so like whatever they have going on if they have way more mana, like the second they have anything remotely threatening, if they have way more mana, then you know it's gonna be a, a problem that you probably have to deal with. Yes. Mana lets you do things, and if you have things to do with that mana, then that's pretty scary. Yep. Honestly, really, the problem is just things in Magic are just sort of broken, right? Like that's, yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> objects, ban things, ban cards. Okay. Um, I think that wraps up the types of pressure, uh, which just leaves how do you deal with it? <laughs> and that's the neat part. It it's kind of I don't know. I think by virtue of like if you're in a situation where you're being pressured, I think you're kind of already like you don't get to that state willingly, right? Like you're you've probably already um, you're probably not necessarily equipped to get out of it. But there are some things you can do to try and, you know, increase your odds. Well, I, I think I, I'm, not, one, I'm not sure that's necessarily true. Just because well, like, I think okay, I think pressure pressure is like it's 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 incentivizing action that you wouldn't normally be taking. So it doesn't mean that like you can't get out of the pressure. It just means that it like it, it's sure. taking your attention I guess... and resources away from like your your main game plan or what you want to be doing because I yeah, no, I don't that's want fair. with I combat don't... combat. That's is totally yeah. I, I, I mostly, have... mostly had seedborn muse Thrasius in my head, and I was like, no one sure. willingly but lets I, themselves get. Like, I, get I might, I might have like three tutors in hand that I could be using to go get like more pieces to put myself further ahead, or go get them to get like stack interaction, and then like a win or whatever. But if I'm getting beat in the face by a twelve twelve in the air, like I'm probably gonna have to burn one of those on a swords to plowshares, which isn't something that I want to do, but I'm gonna like have to do it. But it also doesn't mean yeah. that I'm not well-equipped to continue playing the game with the other two tunes. No, that's, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, but yeah, so I think, I mean, I was going to segue that into the, the number one thing you should do is uh, work as a team, <laughs> if you can. Oh, would... If you're not being teamed up against everyone else due to combat or whatever, but if one person has, you know, or is beginning to build... Um, pressure and you know you you gotta you gotta you gotta stop it before it becomes overwhelming um because the nature of these kind of pressure scenarios is that they tend to um build and build and build uh, uh, maybe combat not so much combat's more like a slow continuous chip but um like the advantage engines over time it gets harder and harder to deal with it because they draw more and more answers so work as a team uh, talk with your uh with the other people in the pod 
say, hey, sure, you don't want this Sebramustrasius or this Ristic study or whatever it is in play just as much as me. Um, you know, let's, uh, let's talk, let's talk. How do we, how do we, uh, address this? What do you got? What do I got? Um, I've got a removal spell, but no way to back it up. You've got some, you can, can you back me up? Cool. Maybe we can get this thing done. So talk. Yeah, I think, and I think there's like a few different, uh, ways that you can use the, the talking because like you can also, um, like you can potentially try and talk people into uh racing like if someone has like certainly a conversation i've had many times is like you know that a few people at the table have like a decent amount of combat damage like maybe collectively you know three people have somewhere on the order of like 12 damage a turn cycle that they can probably get in relatively easily with and someone's pulling way ahead on cards, you can, you know, talk to people like, hey, you know, we should probably go with this person because, like, their one ring or their Ristic study or whatever is going to bury us if if we let this game... If we let them play this game for five more turns, we're going to lose. So let's see if we can make that three turns. Um, and you can also work with uh, people particularly protecting things that mitigate their advantage like it's great to have a thousand cards in hand but if there's a rule of law you're pretty limited on how you can use them uh so that's definitely you know an opportunity where let's say you have a rule of law and the person who's way ahead on cards goes to remove it you can appeal try and appeal to the table to protect it like hey maybe you don't love this rule of law being in play it's annoying for your deck or whatever but like we're gonna die to the person with 12 cards in hand if this rule of law goes away um and so you can just look for like basically any advantage that the table has against the person who's ahead and then try and work politically to like turn the game into being about that and leverage that advantage as much as possible I will say, I think you touched on it a bit, but also I think uh, something to be said here is also just winning yourself <laughs> with just like as a concept without like any other packaging around it is like a huge one. Just, you know, sometimes you have to actually evaluate like if the pressure actually matters at all, and sometimes it might matter, but like you're being forced to go for a win earlier than you would have wanted to, but it might still just be a good win attempt anyway. And you should probably be able to recognize that or just like think about that in the context of being pressured, where it's just like, yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah, I, this pressure is actually fake and only matters if I wasn't winning here, which I'm not, I am winning. So die. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing, a trap I certainly fall into sometimes is wanting my wins to be near sure things. Yep. Um, this when, is like definitely, yeah, an extension. Yeah, this this, was, this uh, happened to be at, at Bufftown Bullies last time where it's like, I had the win attempt and I didn't go for it because I was like, I only have one piece of protection. Surely, you know, there's there's enough interaction in the, in the pod to, to stop this. Anyway, didn't go for it. Lost before I got another turn. You know, sad. But... 
I could have maybe assessed like there's a uh, 60% chance of success, you know, which I mean is better than the um, initial 25 you walk in with. But, uh, you know, maybe you think you can get better, but maybe, maybe you, you, you can't. You just, you gotta, you gotta try and accurately assess what, what the, uh, your percentages are. And, uh, don't be afraid to take them, even if it's not a sure thing. Yeah. Yep. I do think one, one thing that isn't, I guess, technically under this heading, but is important to point out, um, just, it was, you know, I was reminded of it when we talked about making the win attempt, is people react to pressure in, a lot of ways and one of them is trying to make a win attempt true uh which if you are not exactly sure you know what's going on or how that is going to look um you could i mean basically people panic right like you start beating them down with a big flyer like you hit someone i don't know two or three times you hit someone two times with a tivet they're gonna do something right and you better be prepared for what they're going to do. You better yeah. be prepared for what they're going to do because, uh, like, for example, let's say they're the person directly after you in turn order. So they go like, okay, I can't deal with the Tivit. It has Ward 1 billion, basically hexproof. Um, I, don't, I don't understand how I'm supposed to deal with this. I don't have a good way of putting out flying blockers. So I guess my out is to win. Um, and then they go for it. And you're like, cool, yeah, well... I have the, you know, I have the stuff to stop you, but then you've spent some resources and then the person after them goes, well, well, maybe I'll try a win now that some resources have been spent stopping this first person. And so, you know, often a win attempt in a turn cycle gives the signal for other people to make their win attempts. So when you are applying pressure, make sure you're confident you can handle that potential cascading effect. Um... And that also means specifically with combat damage pressure, you might actually want to be factoring in the relative turn order of the people you're killing. Yep. Um, because it's always safest. It's safest if the person immediately before you panics. Yes. And if the rest of the table slash you, I guess, like are prepared for that eventuality. Um. But yeah, having the per- person directly after you panicking is not a good place to be, just in general, <laughs> in, in the format. Even outside of the context of pressure. If the person immediately after you is panicking and trying to do things, it's it's probably not a good look for your chances. You want the game to proceed in a controlled manner where you're the one in the driver's seat, and that is difficult to do when people act unpredictably. And it gets harder and harder to predict what people are going to do when you kind of force their hand. Um, so yeah, Which just is also, cautious about it. That's also a reason why uh, talking to people slash talking at people slash listening to them is really OP. Um, because yes. it means that it suddenly becomes not as unpredictable and you can gain a lot of information from, again, just engaging in table talk and sort of talking about people's positions and stuff even it's not 100%, 100% actively trying to draw information out of them you get a better idea of where people are at and where they're uh what they're thinking of doing or uh sort of what the vibe is and then you can sort of figure out like okay if i do continue attacking this person they might make a very ill-advised word attempt and that might not be great for me so maybe i have to either like talk with them about it 
and like figure out a deal or like figure out something to do about that or just like lay off of it and like take a couple of turns and get somebody else or get somebody else dead first also from the opposite perspective sometimes you know it it, it is sometimes to your advantage to make yourself and your intentions known so that you are more predictable and more of a known quantity to your opponents because sometimes they might be like you know oh i'm gonna counter your demonic tutor and you're like no 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 i swear to god i'm only getting like this thing or whatever tutor it is like that you can you can oftentimes people don't like burning counter spells right if you're if you're casting a, a neoform sacking a dork and someone's like this is Grand Abolisher, or I have to at least respect the Grand Abolisher and to win attempt, um, I need to counter this. And you're like, no, 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 listen, listen, I'm just getting a collector oof, I swear, and it's going to be because, you know, our mutual enemy over there is doing absolutely insane stuff with Dockside or, or whatever. So yeah, sometimes it is useful to declare your intentions. Um, okay, uh, is that it for our main topic? Well, I know Morgan wanted to talk a bit about politics, and I'm not sure if you covered everything that you wanted to cover for this stuff. Um, I, I think I mostly uh, covered that, or covered the stuff I wanted to say, but I guess I didn't talk so much about, um, like, directly interacting with the person who's applying pressure to you specifically. I guess we sort of touched on, you know talking through your intentions and mm. saying like hey if you keep swinging that at me i have to kill it or like here i see this as a problem what can we do um we're abandoning of, all dignity and just like pleading just yeah, begging exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah, i see you played games with me before <laughs> yeah um but one of, one of the things that i've definitely uh like done a few times is sort of been political with whatever pieces i have in play either giving them something that they want like often people will try and kill you like let's say you play a Dranith magistrate and they don't have their commander out people will be like well I want that Dranith magistrate gone so uh you know activate player removal um and you could be like all right well I'll how about this I'll just block with the Dranith like then you don't have to hit me anymore you can hit someone else you get your commander I'm not thrilled about that but I'm still in the game um or conversely you can threaten to block with something they don't want gone. Um, like, let's say they're playing a relatively staxy creature-based deck and they're beating you down, saying like, hey, I'm going to block with this collector if you swing at me again, because I'm taking too much damage, uh, you know, can, can be a bit of a deterrent, because often people won't block until they're dead like or like people often don't until block out to be dead yeah until the the lethal swing is incoming but there are often reasons to block ahead of time obviously it insulates you from like surprise removal or whatever um and you know can can like modify the political situation in different ways so, shift shift the balance of power like all of a sudden the player who was held down by the oof is now free and it's like now you they've got to start attacking them or doing things to them so it's like yeah, yeah you got to be, be do do that a bit sooner. Don't don't wait till the last minute for sure. Oh yeah, that that's all I wanted to say about politics. There we go. Which means yeah. it's time for everyone's favorite segment: gut check, gut check, gut check. Which Reed surprisingly has the gut check for us. I did. I. 
I try I try not to take the responsibility of these kinds of things onto myself because I know all too well you just end up doing them forever. Um so I'm definitely <laughs> not taking this permanent role. This I am is still free! job. This is still Lyndon's <laughs> job. But uh, I did have this one in the back of my mind from earlier today, and I wanted to get opinions on it uh, because I think it's sort of an interesting one. Um, so here's the gut check. Uh, and ask slash we'll, we'll talk if it needs clarification. Um, which commander, so singleton card, um, is the best slash I guess gains the most if you take a color away from their color identity, but that also takes that colored pip out of the casting cost and activated abilities? Whoa. Wow. Okay. Wait, so <laughs> casting cost and activated abilities. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, there's some efficiency in choosing the Gila. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sans red. And then just Honestly, two, probably two I think it is, maybe it's gotta be Najila, yeah. I mean, at, that's a like, really good answer. Five color sissé is also pretty crazy. Yeah, I don't think it's comparable to the oh because you ditch white and you in the activation white, cost. Yeah. Oh, that's true. So you know what? How how about we get we just nix five color commanders in general and we go for everything. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. five. Actually, wait a second. Easy, I think. Surely, surely it's just Kenrith, right? Like, I, oh, I guess so. No, we'll, we'll, no, we'll, no. We'll we'll say non five color then. Um. Uh, single. <laughs> I have I have one how that do, gains How does hybrid lot. mana work? <laughs> uh, it becomes not hybrid mana. <laughs> um, I, that's actually, you, it's such a good question. A, a it's such a good question. Mono white Najila. You mean Minoto? Sorry, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, also, I, I, tree drop Winota is so much better yeah, than... Yeah, it, it is, it is better. way such better, a massive yeah. leap. <laughs> well, okay, here's a weird one. What about Oswald? That, yeah, pure pretty good. colorless. And pure colorless, colorless for a single mana. mana. Yeah, it and does actually no... for free as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but you are in colorless, which is yeah. very rough. Yeah, but Oswald finds artifacts. I don't know. That am I, that am I, sorry, am I allowed to say a partner and just? I thought yeah, about partners, yeah. but you, I don't you, think you, do you want to remove colors from partners a lot of the time. I think that hurts more but, than. But like, you definitely could. Like mono blue or green Thrasius, I don't think is that. All right, guys, stop brainstorming. Pick, pick your own. Pick your own. <laughs> two, two mana. It's a, two mana it is a gut check. Pretty gross. Um, I I can I can give mine if uh, you guys still want to think for a bit here. Or no, I'm going with Oswald. I, I don't right. want to think about Oswald. it too much longer, but I think Oswald's a reasonable answer. All right. I guess I'll. Uh, assuming we're taking five color off the table, I guess I'll stick with yeah. Winota. Winota. All right, uh, mine, and you guys are gonna hate me for this one, is a Sarerak, because you don't have to discard, you don't have to discount the colored cost anymore. <laughs> so you just need to discount the colored oh, cost course. until it's. And it, I should have been thinking about why mana. was Reed thinking about this question at all? You know, and I, clearly. And it, it starts I at don't even mana. think that's true. I, I think that's actually completely wrong. I, I, th I think it gains probably some of the most, um, personally. 
No, because you you literally can never find any of your pieces. You just there are and, so many of them. <laughs> no, there are. There are a Did lot. You lose of heartless scatters. summoning. Oh no. <laughs> and you like, just, you could just you could also just play big mana as well. How many are there that don't suck? Like three. Well, no, no, because you get to play all the artifact discounters. Because it discounts it to one mana, and then you just need two of them, and you don't need the additional piece anymore. So you just sorry, like what do you mean the artifact discounters? Oh, sorry, not the not the artifact, like the uh, the um, historic discounters. So there's like a Jorah's uh, assistant or Jorah's familiar, um, and there are a couple of uh, other like discounters for um, that kind of stuff. Oh, actually, okay, I guess I was forgetting about like I was thinking like uh, Awakening, obviously, but. Yeah. No, no, I, I was forgetting, you do get, um, uh, what's it, you get both Relic of Legends and, uh, and, um, what, the paddle, I can always, I can never remember. Honor yeah, yeah, Warn yeah. Shaku? Honor Warn Shaku. Shaku, there we go. Yeah, and, um, and you do, you, you get a fair number of discounters as well. Just and then, like, stuff. Monument, Medallion, Incubator, yeah, I guess there's, there's yeah. a few more than I thought. I still feel like, I also think that, like, you don't the cards you're going to hit running through the dungeon are going to be a lot worse, and I do think that's a problem. Like Definitely definitely I, is. I think you're 100% in on getting a Sarak down to zero, rather than like just setting up some like, like peer or whatever. But it and is I, a lot easier to play the manual of Sarak game because it starts at two. Yeah. I that's guess. Very fair. Interesting thought experiment. Okay. <laughs> Moving on, we still do have a listener question. Um, well, okay, so for gut check, I guess we'll do this. I'll, we'll do chilling after the listener question. That's fine. Uh, okay, so listener question. This, this one comes to us from Rick. If the commander draft rule of any monocolored legend that could be your commander had partner was adopted for commander as a whole, what is the nastiest combination for CDH you could create out of the current pool of legends? Uh, so it's like still like go to clarifying question this is they they have partner so that it's they only work with the current set of partners right yeah yeah i'm I'm assuming that's well i guess or or they could you could pick two any two monocolored commanders depending on how exactly that's worded yeah i don't think that would be first of all that'd be much i think that's too wide of a scope to think of right now off the top of my head any two so what you think just, commanders just have they have partner with existing partners yeah even then that's still I, my, my mind immediately goes to so like yes on the classic yeah that's what the, I, was, I was like yes on timna would be pretty gross the classic i was thinking are, like honestly yes on i might even though it doesn't add much like yes on ishai like blue and white and yes on is like Kind yeah, of exactly want, what I want. It, want white for stacks, red. blue for interaction. You want to give it red for geeky stuff. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Um, or yeah, you could just do um, like Bruce, Lucius on or something. No, I was just. I was actually gonna say um, you play Yis on Vile Smasher, and then <laughs> you. It's just like a turbo deck that sometimes when you're like stacked out or whatever, you just play Yisan and fucking <laughs> disgusting things. Yeah. So I, wow. I was it, say, according to the, so this, the best thing that Yisan does is be a backup plan. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, yeah, it's a pretty damn good backup plan. If you could have it in other, 
in other colors. Yeah. Um, the the classic answer is a uh, Goto plus like most things. Um, Goto with additional colors gets pretty disgusting, especially yeah. if you know, like black for like additional rituals plus some tutors and stuff. Um, and then especially if you like put it in the command zone with like, I know there's like the green mana dork, which is like pretty disgusting. Um, that has partner, and then there's like I I think they're uh just like a bunch of like good options to pair it with that just like make it do disgusting things especially like in a turbo shell where you could just like you could play grixis goto if you wanted oh. to oswald will also be sick too i've got another another yeah. good answer a- adding any color especially if you get to add two colors to orvar uh, oh yeah. true yeah, true yeah, yeah. orvar is like, insane why yes i would like to play wish or- talisman and dockside extortionist <laughs> or or urza <laughs> I mean, Urza, oh, Urza. Urza in red with Dockside is like <laughs> pretty disgusting. Maybe, maybe like Magda. No, Urza, Magda Urza plus is green uh, and black. Like, maybe like Urza. Let's see, like Urza Timna, maybe. Boss. Hmm. Urza Timna does sound pretty disgusting. Not gonna lie, it really does. But I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was also just thinking, like, man, I wish, I wish. Uh, no, yeah, just just a black, and it's just so good. Yeah, anyway, lots of lots of possibilities there. Yeah. Um and then Rick can, okay, is it can bad clarify that I really just want to play Ragavan Timna. <laughs> Ragavan is like the disgusting Die. one for uh like most of the stuff that's currently playing Rograk, where it's just like, hmm, maybe we could just play a dork instead and it's just God, like Ragavan Timna is so funny. Just, just steal people and steal stuff from people continuously. Rag Timna is also, yeah, just disgusting. I will always have a dork on turn one that is also a Tim to attack and also be cast him down turn two. Okay. Well, Rick, you can update us on if we appropriately answered your question or if you meant the uh, they get just generic partner with another monocolor legend, in which case resubmit your listener question and we'll we'll give it some <laughs> we'll time milk to milk it for it. some more content. Yeah. Um we cool. do want to let's let's shill listener questions and gut checks though. So uh, if you are um, a listener at all uh, and you want to submit a listener question for a future episode, um, you can do so on our Discord. Um, so the link should be in the description. Uh, if you go to our Discord, there should be a listener question submission channel, and you can go uh, submit listener questions for us to read out on uh, the podcast. And if you're a patron, you actually get priority. Uh, listener questions so we'll always try to read yours as soon as possible um if it's a reasonable question if it can't be like you know answered in the what is your game, social security yeah. number or your social insurance <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, jokes on them we don't have social security yeah. and cleverly patrons, patrons also get to uh, submit suggestions for gut checks too so if you have a burning uh, gut check that you think would be really good for the gut check segment um then you can uh, submit that if you're a patron as well um and as well for gut checks in general uh we tend we try to post all of our uh previous gut checks uh in the discord as well with all of our answers and everybody can uh, vote on which one they would have picked uh for that gut check so if you want to go engage and see what everybody else thought and see what everybody else thinks about gut checks and stuff you should definitely uh, go check that channel out cool 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 well 
that about wraps it up for this episode. If you guys like, would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at IntoNorthPod, via our email, IntoNorthPodcast at gmail.com, or on our Discord server, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. Next, special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast. If you too would like to become a patron, we are at patreon.com slash IntoNorthPodcast. Thank you, as always, to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, and to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Yeah. Have a good one.